Yes, greetings. So my name is Rick. I'm one of the other pastors here, and I brought my friend Brian with me this morning. Brian's going to be reading the scripture for us. I just want to set you up for this. We have been going through the book of Colossians now for a couple of months, and we took a three-week break because of Palm Sunday, because of the Easter Resurrection Day teaching, and then last week we caught up on kind of the fuller understanding of our name Orchard. So today we're back in Colossians. And the passage that I'll actually be teaching out of today really sits tightly in the passage before it. Uh, So if we just started where I am, you would clearly know something's missing. So I've asked Brian to actually back up a couple of verses. So he's going to be reading in Colossians chapter 3. So if you want to turn there, that'd be great. The words will also be on the screen. And he'll be reading verses 1 through 11. So I just want to set you up for that. It's 11 verses. So as I often say, this is the part of the gathering, the teaching you can trust the most. When someone is reading scripture, nothing in error will be said. So I I encourage you to pay attention. And Brian, why don't you take center stage here and go ahead and read for us. All right. Colossians 3, 1 to 11. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Excellent. Thank you, Brian. Yeah, so you can see that second and third slide is actually where we are today, verses 5 through 11, and we needed to set that up. And so I want to remind you, and this is such a great time to be reminding you of this, that we are talking about the reality that in every way except your body, you have been raised with Christ. So we celebrated resurrection a couple of weeks ago, reminding ourselves that our Savior is alive and well. And I've been encouraged to remember, and this was a new thing to remember for me, that Jesus continued to be present on the earth for 40 days after resurrection. So this would only have been day 14. He still would have been around for a few more days. And in my own mind, I'm keeping that in my mind to remember, yeah, Jesus is alive, he's been resurrected, he is the resurrected Lord, and he's present, and he's here. Just another way for me to fully embrace that reality. And the other reality we need to fully embrace is that we have been resurrected with Christ. And so Paul has been setting up this very clear image that Christ is from above, and we, as creatures of the ground, are from below. This is true in two ways. It's true in the creation way in that men and women were created from dust. 
man was created directly from the dust and then woman from the body of man. But all of us as humans are essentially from the earth. And so in a positive way, we are of the earth and this is good. Paul is not referring to that reality when he says from below. He doesn't just mean earth and organic. He actually means the earth as we know it today in its full bloom of corruption. Sin is present. We ourselves struggle with sin. The scriptures tell us that the presiding authority on the earth is actually Satan, is actually the prince of the power of the air. So that's why we see governments in the way that they are. That's why we see people who live the way they do. That's why we see leadership that fails to really lead in a gracious and a loving and a powerful way. Most governments in the world lead in ways of greed and selfishness and using the power and the resources that the countries that they live in have for themselves. We do not know godly leadership very well, so we are of that. That's the earth in which we live. But then Jesus has come from above and has shown us what life from above is like. And so when we are born again or born of the Spirit, the scriptures say we are born from above. And now we too get to live out of our source from above rather than from below. So it's a very clear black and white, in this case, above and below kind of scenario. So again, the scripture today, we're going to talk more about the contrast between being risen with Christ from above versus living out of the earthliness of humanity apart from Christ. That's what we'll be taking a look at. So here we are. I want to read again verses 5 through 7. Paul says, because you are now from above, put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, to that broken, sinful nature. And then he shares this list of things. He says sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these kinds of things, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these in the life that you once lived. Now let's take a little look at that list. These are representative, they're not comprehensive, but these are some of the characteristics that came to Paul's mind as he was writing that are the result of being from the earth. So sexual immorality, that's a desire for sexual intimacy outside of this lifelong commitment to one in marriage. Impurity, similarly, is a mixture of that which is pure or good or right with things that are contrary to that, things that are bad, things that are dark. Impurity is to uh, dilute something like love. God has called us to love, but if we are impure around love, there are parts of us or things we do that are not loving. Lust, a craving for what is really not ours to have. There's something that we see and we want it, and we, it's not for us, and yet we, we have this veracity of desire for what does not belong to us. Evil desires, wanting things that are not good for ourselves or good for others, they're destructive. And then greed, essentially wanting more than what is already ours. And if you notice, you guys see a theme in there at all. What are some words or ideas that would represent that whole package together? Anybody here in the room? Desire, yeah, that's kind of the central word. These are all desires. What else? What kinds of desires specifically are they? Yes, they're absolutely for me. And then there's one more piece to it. 
and that is that they are completely not God's intention. They don't come from love. They don't come from goodness. They come from badness or they come from evil. So what Paul is saying is we need to, and I want you to notice, what's the word that he says? He says, put to death. So he doesn't say wrestle with, and he doesn't say try to work around, but he makes a very strong statement. He says, put to death these things. So though we are seated with Christ, this reality of us becoming like Jesus is this lifelong process. And one of the greatest, most powerful things we can do in the process of becoming like Christ, of living as one who is from above, is to recognize our desires that are the desire for the wrong thing and to kill those desires. I think in a single phrase, what this is saying is we need to lose this selfish, as you said, I want. We need to lose the selfish, I want. Is our life in any way dominated by this phrase, I want? I think in, uh, in our country and in our culture, this is certainly true. Uh, even the Declaration of Independence uh, says that we all have a right to the pursuit of happiness. And in generalities, I wouldn't say there's anything wrong with that idea, but it's become a highly individualistic reality where we're kind of told, you go out and just go after what makes you happy. You have the right to pursue happiness. But the thought is apart from, how do I do that for the good of others as well? How do I seek happiness or, or a full life, but also consider those around me and the needs of those around me? And it's a very individualistic way of thinking. And we live in such a hyper-individualistic culture. So, so often we're not very aware of people within a couple of degrees of us who are not able to pursue happiness. And yet there is an, there's a lack of empathy. In fact, there can be an apathy. And that's why we have, for instance, in our culture today, this struggle around ethnicity and certain groups of people who... While some have pursued happiness and they've had great advantage in that direction, there are others who are highly disadvantaged toward living a content and a full life. And our call is not to be selfish and not to say, well, as long as I get mine, um, I'm okay. And sorry for you. So we're definitely being called away from that reality, the I want. Let's move on now to verse 8. And there's a second set of... Uh, things here that we need to put to death. So in verse 8, Paul says, but now you must also rid. The reason he's saying this is I think he's recognized that by and large, most Christians pretty early on are moving away from these kinds of things. They're quite dark and they're quite obvious. But now here's this second set. But now you must also rid yourself of such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. So here's another set. Again, let's briefly go over them, and I'm going to ask you again, so be prepared. Is there a theme here, and how can we characterize these examples of what Paul is after? So anger, in general, is just a strong annoyance or a hostility. Rage is basically next-level anger where it moves towards violence. It moves towards either a greater volume or it's not just verbal, but it becomes physical. 
Malice is an intent to cause harm to others. I just want somebody to suffer. Slander is a false damaging statement or a set of statements where we want to characterize someone, but in a very negative light. And often this comes with falsehood. So false damaging statements of a person. Filthy language is just words that a culture agrees on. Like when you use these words, you're being vulgar. Um, they're shameful. And these change from culture to culture, even though we might speak the same language. We may have words here that in the UK are not taken as quite so bad and vice versa. But it's whatever your community considers filthy. He says, let's stay away from those things. And then finally, he says, lying. Do not lie to one another. Do not use false statements. So what, again, what's the common thread in these examples? Yeah, hate. Yeah, you notice the first set was about internal things, about my desires in my heart. All of these things are about externals. They're about the way I treat others or my intent to others or my communication with others. So Paul is saying, let's not only clean up what is going on inside of us with misguided desires and wishes and impulses, but let's also clean up what comes out of us towards others and about others. So he's saying, let's also work on this level. So it's kind of a second level becoming like Christ. That first level is dealing with these internal things, the desires that don't come from above, they come from below. And this second level, kind of upper maturity level, is to deal with the way we express ourselves toward others and the way we represent them. And again, Paul is saying, rid yourself of these things. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I believe that, especially in our communities and our culture, we've gotten sophisticated enough that it might be hard for us to recognize some of these things. Like, am I angry? Well, kind of a little bit sometimes. Do I rage? No, I don't think so. Am I malicious? Uh, I don't, boy, I don't really want to harm anybody. Do I slander? Do I make false statements? Oh, ouch. Okay, maybe a little bit. Or maybe I see things the way that isn't true or the way they don't see them and I tell a story that is actually kind of tweaked and false. Filthy language. No, my Baptist upbringing took care of that. <laughs> Lying and false statements. Ah, now that one I could spend some time on. I could definitely evaluate and, and realize, yeah, I don't think I set out necessarily at this stage in my life to tell a clear non-truth that you could quickly disprove, but I do think I nuance things. I say them wisely that are just, it's a way to tell the story that maybe doesn't represent the story wholly. And that's just it. For us, these things can become very subtle in us, but still, we definitely need to rid ourselves. And I say that to you to say this, Again, I feel like Paul is preaching something obvious. And we would say, by and large, I'm not sure that's us. But I would have to admit for myself, it actually still is. It's just nuanced. And it's just deep and subtle. And I still have gotten really good at it. And so I need to continually ask myself and ask God to reveal to me, what do I still need to rid myself of? What do I still need to put to death? Now, 
Good news should follow this, and it does, but unfortunately, we've divided up the teaching so that the good news comes next week. (laughs) And what we're going to get into next week is what we can replace all of this with. And to me, that's tremendously good news. So I don't want you to feel the weight of today and feel like that's the end of the story. The end of the story is God says, let these things die and get rid of these things, and then there are other things you need to let come to life. And there are other things that you need to take on. And so we'll dive into that next week. It'll be very encouraging. But here's where I want to land with this teaching. These statements, I think, can be summarized in this phrase here. And that is, I demand you. I demand you. That first set was, I demand. I demand to be satisfied. I demand to feel good. I need, I demand to feel happy in the way I want to feel happy. That's what lust and greed is about. This second set is saying, I demand you. I demand you to cooperate with me. I demand you to do what I want you to do so that I can experience what I want to experience. I demand you to believe the way that I believe so that I can't feel uncomfortable around you because you believe something different. I demand that everyone within the sound of my voice agree with me so that... I can not have to wrestle with another perspective that isn't mine. This is all that we say. And you can hear in all of this, as Jeremy said, it's very selfish. It's just self-driven. It puts myself at the highest place in my life to say, I want, I demand, and I demand of you. And this is what Paul is saying must die. Here's the beginning of the good news. And this is verses 10 and 11. He says, for we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here in Christ, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and Christ is in all. The image of Christ, Christ is all and is in all. Jesus fully submitted to the will of the Father. He did not live a life of, I want. He lived a life of, Father, what do you want? Father, what do you want? And we know that the Father's will is always for the goodness of all humanity. God is love. And God's desire is to be able to express and give that love to every human. Peter says, God is not willing that any human should perish, but that all should come to repentance and to a reconciled relationship with God. This is the will of God. Jesus' desire, his work, was the will of God, which is the healing and salvation of mankind. He lived a life that was for God and for others. And therefore, Paul says, since you have been risen with Christ, go the same direction. Live in the same way. And not in your own power, in your own strength, because we've learned that's impossible. But being filled with the Holy Spirit in prayer and in honest devotion, seek to be like Christ in these ways. And I would say that that the statement of Christ and who he is is this. It's, I submit. I submit to the Father's will. And also, I submit to our differences. 
and I submit to my incompleteness, and I submit to your incompleteness, and I submit to your differences. And when I say submit, I don't mean that we relinquish all of our own thoughts. And it's not that we relinquish our own choice, but we bring it in cooperation with God and one another. It's not that we become doormats or completely passive, but we seek harmony between who I am and what I want and believe and who you are and what you want and believe and who Christ is, the one whom we are all wanting to become like. And so we work with each other. I think of this especially in the context of community. Some of you have been in communities with one another for a long time, and so you're really well acquainted this, with this, but we hit these layers of, it doesn't take a lot of cooperation to meet together for three months and have dinner and get to know people you don't know. That's pretty safe, it's pretty fun, and it goes pretty well. But if we stay in community and we're faithful in community, we're going to hit these places, right, where uh, last night wasn't very fun. <laughs> We got together, and I'm making something up right now. We got together for our community, and uh, we had this conversation, and I was surprised at where it went. And I was really surprised at what so-and-so believed and thought. And if we live from below, we're going to say, and I want, and I don't want, and I don't want that, and I don't want to put up with that. And so I speak to my wife. What did you think about last night? Yeah, I had a hard time with that too. And now what are we doing? We're slandering and we're gossiping and we're beginning to speak poorly of each other and we're putting in our own hearts a barrier and we're allowing that conversation to turn into an attitude and an opinion and an awareness and we are starting to degrade and destroy a relationship. Rather than asking honest questions of what does it look like to submit to that thought for a minute? To even say, I wonder where it comes from. What's the story of this person that has led them to sit in a different place than I do in their perspective in this way? What is their story? I was so grateful the other day, Kevin Wally was uh, quoting for us something Abraham Lincoln that said, something Abraham Lincoln had said, um, I don't like that man. I need to get to know him better. Such a great statement. And that's where it comes from. Our demand and our want that is counter to the goodness of God is often a lack of understanding in our parts. If we hear the story of another, we can understand maybe how they got to where they are. And sometimes maybe we're actually wrong. I mean, not very often, I know, right? But maybe we actually have an opinion that is actually not quite there, that isn't fully true. And maybe these are opportunities for us to learn So this is the call today, and again, I look forward to next week and celebrating the the responses that come from above, what it's like to live out of aboveness. But today is a day really for us to take some time during worship and communion to invite God, as David did in the Psalms, and say, search me, O God. Know my heart today. And help me discern, is there some wicked, unkind, lustful, impure, filthy, lying, angry way in me? And then would you cleanse me from it? Would you take it away? And that's the good news. The goal of confession, admitting the condition that we are in, is not shame. And it's not depression. And it's not frustration. And it's not low self-esteem. 
the goal is until I see the dirty spot, I won't wash it. Until I see what's here that shouldn't be here, I don't try to remove it. But once I recognize it, I get to say, hey, Jesus, right here. There's a spot right here. Hey, Jesus, oh, I haven't seen that before, and I know you have. Oh, man, I'm sorry. Right here. Right here, Jesus. And then what does he do? It says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just, and he will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And I hope that for you, this idea of confession is turning over more and more to be a really good thing. How do you feel after a good bath or shower? Yeah, that's right. It's pretty dang good. Absolutely. That's what confession is. It's a shower. It's saying, Jesus, wash me. I'm still dirty. Refresh who I am.